If you have your Bibles, open it up, if you will, please, to the book of Ephesians. I'm going to be preaching now. That may have felt like a sermon, but that was just an announcement. I want to get to a little teaching, preaching time here, and we're going to get back to the will of God. And my goal in this series of loving the will of God was to help answer questions about God's will and ultimately help direct you in such a way that you'll hit the prize of apprehending the will of God for your life. Now, I'm going to review real quick what it is we've talked about. This will be part three of uh, I Love the Will of God. And as you will recall, if you've been here, our first message had to deal with wanting and desiring and loving the will of God. Do you really want the will of God? Do you really want it? Do you desire it? Do you want to be in the center of it? The will of God is a moot point if you do not want it really. All right, so that's what we started with, wanting the will of God. Second week, we talked about the blank contract, signing the blank contract, that, that God asks you to trust him and you sign the blank contract and he gets to fill in the blanks as you walk through life. And that's what it means to trust the Lord. It's not trusting him because it hap- he happens to agree with you. It's trusting him because you signed the blank contract and he knows best. We talked about how his will is knowable. It's apprehendable. That you can know what the will of God is. That it isn't nebulous, it isn't ethereal, it isn't misty, it isn't foggy. That there are ways that you can apprehend and know the will of God. And then once you know the will of God, you're expected to do the will of God. And we were giving you verses all along the way of Jesus who said that if you're really connected to him, if you're really family with him, then you're doing the will of God. So the will of God is very, very important. Now, my wife texts me. She's uh, with her mom this weekend. She'll be driving in later today. But she texted me and said that uh, one of her favorite television pastors was talking about the will of God, and he made this quotation. He said, the will of God is what you would choose for yourself if you had enough sense to choose what was best for you. I thought that's pretty good. The will of God is what you would choose for yourself if you had enough sense to choose what was best for you. That is probably a good definition. Now today, I want to answer the question, or at least try to answer the question, can I mess up God's will for my life? What if I miss God's will because I didn't see it? What if I made a wrong decision? What if I made a bad decision as I'm journeying along here? What if I sinned? Can I be disqualified? What if if I lived in rebellion for years and then I get right with God later? I mean, have have I forfeited the will of God? Am I stuck with second best? David Livingston, who was the famous African missionary of almost a century ago, He once said, I would rather be in the middle of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of the will of God. That's good. Whatever God has for you, there's something in your heart that says, I want what God has for me more than what I see I think I want. You don't want to be a reality TV star. You don't want to be a celebrity. You don't want... want visibility i'm not saying it might not be god's will it may be god's will but it better be god's will you are better off 
in a sheep field. You are better off in a cave. You are better off in a wilderness. You are better off other places in the will of God than you are in what you may think to be what's best for you. The question is, though, what happens if I thought I had it and maybe now I'm wondering if I missed it? Most folks believe that God, to be God, is all-knowing, He's all-powerful, He's all-present. Those are the omnis, you know, the omnipotent, the omniscient, the omnipresent. Those are the Greek omnis. It means He's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. But the question always is that we may believe, we may believe God is indeed those things, but, but how does God in His sovereignty interact with me in my ability to make choices? Now, this is, a, this is an irony I just want to put out here. Christians, Christians moan at times about having to learn theology. In fact, I've heard people say, Pastor, you talk too much about doctrine and theology. I don't want to hear anything about doctrine and theology. Listen, understanding whether or not you get plan B or not is doctrine. Boy, that's about as theological a question as you can get because you're dealing with God's sovereign abilities to do whatever God wants to do and your abilities to make choices. That's as real as it gets. Several years ago, I was under some stress, and I've told this story before, but it's been a number of years ago. But I was under some significant stress with regards to our church's future and decisions and just the pressures of what was going on. And I was having to make a lot of decisions in those days. And uh, I was just feeling like somehow or another I had made some decisions which maybe hadn't shaken out exactly like I had envisioned them. I mean, am I the only one in here that's ever made a decision and then it doesn't quite shake out like you think it was supposed to? Please, thank you. Thank you for... Thank you for that low grunt I heard in the congregation because I didn't want to think I was the only one. You make a decision, you think you're in the will of God, and boy, boy, that didn't shake out too great. And I was kind of feeling that way. And yet I still had more decisions that I had to make. And I was sitting, I'll never forget this, I was in West Ashley, and I was at the Mellow Mushroom at West Ashley. And I was sitting there, and my wife had slipped off to go to the restroom real quick, and I was just sitting there by myself, and, and you hate to admit these things, but actually I was having this little mini meltdown at Mellow Mushroom. Say that five times fast. Mini meltdown at Mellow Mushroom. That's kind of how I felt. And I came back, and apparently I had some moisture in my eye. And my wife could see it. My wife can read me like a book, and she says, what in the world is going on? And I remember looking at her and just saying there at Mellow Mushroom, probably louder than it should have been said. <laughs> I said, if our future... And the church's future rests on my next best decision. We are in trouble. That's how I felt at that moment. Because there are moments you're saying you're just paralyzed. You're, you're, no, you got to make a decision, but you're paralyzed. You don't want to make a bad decision. In fact, you thought you'd been making good decisions, but some of these good decisions didn't end up like you envisioned them, and so it paralyzes you in making your next decision. Am I talking to anybody here today? And so I looked at her and I said, listen, I don't even know if God, this is how I ended it, if God doesn't have this, we all are in trouble. Now here's the good news. God's got this. But that's the moment that theology hits your heart. 
And something happened to me which liberated me into a new level of freedom and understanding the will of God, and I want to share it with you. So you'll give me, I know I only have a few minutes, so we're going to rush through this, but it's going to be important, so listen carefully. I'm going to answer, does God have a plan B? Ephesians 1, verse 11. Listen carefully. Ephesians 1, 11. It says, in him. Everybody say, in him. Whatever he's fixing to say, he qualifies it by saying, you better be in him. If you're not in him, then what he's about ready to say doesn't mean anything to you. In him also, we've obtained an inheritance. You don't have an inheritance if you're not in him. If you're in him, you have an inheritance. Now, the inheritance is important. Because according to verse 10, if I would have read that to you, that inheritance is not simply your heavenly home, but that inheritance has earthly ramifications. Paul was using the concept of the land again with the Israelites, talking to Christians there in Ephesus, and he says God has an inheritance. In him there's a promise. In him there's a destiny. In him there is his will, which is good. In him he's got something for you now. Not just then. He said, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. Isn't that a great word? God's working all things. What's he working all things for? To get you an inheritance. According to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Does God have a plan B? Now, I began to study for this message, and I googled the phrase, does God have a plan B? I was amazed that there's a lot of posts on this topic, but generally it's about 50-50. Some people think that, yes, there is a plan B, if you mess up the original plan. Others said, no, there's no plan B because nothing can stop the plan of God, so every plan is plan A. And then there was one, which I, I sort of liked how they, they put it. He said, what looks to be like plan B in your life could in fact always have been God's plan A. As I began just to work all that through is what I believe and how I've come to understand the scriptures, I've understood that the tension in this area is the tension between God's sovereign ability and your and my freedom in decision making. How does it all fit together? Because if you go too far one direction, it feels like you're nothing more than a puppet that God is sort of manipulating if God's just going to have his way and it doesn't matter what you do and you're just this puppet and he's the puppet master and he's just sort of manipulating everything around you. But the other way is that... that Conceivably, you could be so radically free that you could even snag God because he doesn't even know what you're going to do next. So you understand there's problems on both sides of this spectrum. So as I began to chew on it all, I centered my thoughts on the question of Jesus and the cross. Was the cross plan B? Was it God's original intent for his son to die? I mean, when he created Adam and Eve, did he create Adam and Eve to live in harmony in, in, in uh, uh, the garden and all of these things? And they just botched up the original plan of God. And so God created this plan B to redeem all of fallen humanity. 
Well, for me, I came to the conclusion that the cross was not plan B. Because in the very midst of the fall, the Lord speaks and there is a messianic prophecy about the seed of the woman bruising the serpent's head. So God had a plan instantly ready for this moment and what looked to be a detour in the garden became a setup for redemption. Now keep that in mind because that leads us to this foundational concept. I want to read it out of Isaiah 14 and 27. Isaiah 14 and 27. Remember, this is about his plans and purposes, not your plans. We're not talking about you getting what you want. We're talking about God doing what he wants. Isaiah 14 says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Hear me, nothing can stop God's will. However, your obedience will determine your participation in God's will. Did you follow that? God's will cannot be stopped, but your obedience will determine your participation. God has a will. You say, does God have a will for my life? He sure does have a will for your life, but here's the key. It's his will, not your will. And if you decide that you want to go off and do your thing, it doesn't stop his will. So your obedience will determine whether or not you get to participate in it. Now, it's interesting because I'm going to go through this rapidly. In the scripture, Paul speaks of being disqualified. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I'm not going to read it, but he talks about being being disqualified. So apparently you can you can put yourself out of the will of God. Now God's will was to reach the Gentiles. God's will was to scatter the gospel all through the earth. If Paul decided he didn't want that, he could be disqualified from that, but it didn't stop the will of God. Interesting. Moses was not allowed to enter into the land. He slapped a rock instead of spoke to a rock. And God said because of that, because he, mis- he was misrepresented, the Lord was misrepresented, Moses couldn't go into the promised land. So apparently he was disqualified because he did not demonstrate appropriately what God wanted demonstrated in the midst of his people. And then finally, I thought David could not build the temple. It was reserved for Solomon. I believe in part that was due to the sin, the murder, And the deception that revolved around his liaison with Bathsheba. So you see some instances within the scripture where people may have had a greater greater achievement possibility within the will of God, but it didn't necessarily come to pass. My point is, is that God's will cannot be stopped by you. You can't stop the will of God, but it needs to remain a sacred and important thing because your level of participation in the will of God may indeed be modified if you determine that you're not going to walk obediently. I I believe there's good news in the Bible. God's amazing at what he can do with regards to restoration and redemption, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to leave us with this understanding Uh, or or misunderstanding may be better said, that you just can't go and live any way you want to thinking somehow God's obligated to do His will in your life. That may not always be so. I I, I don't want that misconception to be hanging there. But God has a will for you to participate in that will be very, very good for you. And if you're obedient in as much as you understand obedience, He will bring that good will to pass and it will bless you. 
Now, I'm going to give you eight personal convictions about God's will in your life. Now, these are things that have been birthed kind of through the years that I've determined by reading the scripture that this is what I understand about the will of God. And this has helped me. You may disagree or you may have more to add. God bless you. But this is kind of where I'm at and just what I want to leave you with as we're wrestling with this whole plan B subject. Number one is this. You are not penalized for attempting to obey God. You are not penalized if you're attempting to obey God. Listen, even an earthly father does not penalize the kids for trying to obey the parent or please the parent. If I'm trying to obey God, if I'm doing something in my life that's trying to be obedient to God, it's not like, it's not like the Lord's looking at me trying to be obedient and maybe I didn't do it exactly as he had painted, and painted it for me to do and he's up in heaven going, ho, 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 snagged him. Hey, hey, we got him. And he nudges, you know, he nudges someone in the Trinity and he goes, isn't that funny? God isn't penalizing you when you attempt to obey him. We, just like our children, make mistakes. It's a part of being a kid. It's a part of maturing as a Christian. We make a couple of mistakes here and there. I mean, if you made a mistake or two, I would hope so. I have. But that doesn't mean the inheritance is necessarily forfeited. So, so it is better, it's better sometimes, I think, to take a step and trust God in taking the step, knowing that maybe, maybe somehow or another, if you didn't get it right, the fact that we'll get there, if you didn't get it right, God's still not penalizing you because you made the step trying to obey him. Doesn't that relieve some of you? Because some of you took a step trying to obey God and, something, and the floor, the door came out from under you. You're just trying to obey God and the door came out from under you. And you feel like, what did I do wrong? Maybe you didn't do anything wrong and maybe that's not God penalizing you. I'll get to what it may be. Number two, nothing takes God by surprise. God is never snagged. He's never caught off guard. If you ever try to throw a surprise party for the Almighty, you'll be disappointed. For God to be omniscient means that he knows what is going on and he knew it before it got to you. Nothing takes him by surprise. So whatever you caught by surprise didn't catch God by surprise. Isn't that good news? Because he's the one I'm linked up with. I'm wanting to do his will. And right now I'm really feeling kind of snagged. But you weren't snagged. Nothing caught you by surprise. So everything that I'm looking at that seems surprising to me wasn't to you. Boy, I sure am glad I'm walking with you. Because whatever's going on in my life must be something you're using in order to do something for your purposes. Number three is this. You're not powerful enough to detour God's plans. When we think that by us, you know, making our own mistakes or making, you know, our own decisions, that somehow we're powerful enough to somehow mess God up, I think is probably presumptuous. You know, Jonah, I think, is the perfect example of a guy who was a prophet, who was a legitimate prophet, who God told him to go prophesy uh, to the people of Nineveh, and he didn't want, really didn't want to do it. So you could make a case for disobedience for Jonah, obviously. So you know the story. Jonah jumps in the ship. He's going to sail to Tarshish. And what does God do? Storms, seas, rough weather. He gets tossed off the boat. The great fish swallows him. He gets thrown up on the shore. 
Listen, Jonah couldn't run from God. You are not powerful enough to think I can jump ship and get out of God's crosshairs. God has a plan. And if he needs you in that plan, he will make sure you get there. Now, hear me. If he could have got the plan done apparently without Jonah, he might have let Jonah drown for all I know. But here's the deal. He wanted Jonah. He needed Jonah. He got Jonah. God will get what he needs when he wants it and nothing is going to stop it. Number four. God holds power over everything. Romans 8, 28. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God. This is, this is again, the caveat. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So here's the deal. Let's just make some assumptions. Let's assume today everybody in the room this will be a comforting thought. Let's assume everybody in the room wants God's will. Everybody in the room loves the Lord. Everyone in the room is committed to exactly that. Here's the cool part. That whatever's going on in my life, if it snags me, if it's good for me, if I like it, if I hate it, if it caught me by surprise, if it hurt me, if it wounded me, whatever it may be, here's the good news. God has power over everything and he's using this all in his grand orchestration to bring about something good in my life. It doesn't feel good at the moment. But the moment isn't the definer of good. Good is how God defines it when he defines it. Some of you right now are in challenging moments and I'm here to tell you God is the unseen orchestrator who's working things out all around that you can't even see. He's working it out. He's causing it to work together for good. You went bankrupt. He's causing it to work out for good. You lost something. He's causing it to work for good. You didn't get the job. He's causing it to work for good. You lost the job. He's causing it to work for good. He's causing it to work for your good. That's why you can wake up and you can say, life's falling apart. Glory to God. He's working it out to my good. We've been sojourning as a church for four years without a location. Praise God. He's working it out for our good. It takes maturity to get that. And there are days I've said, I may not be as mature as I thought. Number five, I'm hurrying. What looks like plan B might really be your plan A. I got to tell you this story. I got, I got, I got to think I got, what, seven? I'm going to do this real quick. I got to tell you this story. Just this story will really help you. In 1987... I was pastoring in a denominational church, Nazarene Church, outside of Akron, Ohio. I got a call in 1987. I got a call to come pastor in Charleston, South Carolina. Just down the road, you'll, you'll see a church. It used to be called St. Andrew's Church of the Nazarene. It's now called Sea Harvest International or International. Just, it's just two blocks down the road. You'll see it right there on the corner. I was called in 1987 to come pastor that church. 
Now, I, I can tell you all the spiritual things I said as to why that wasn't the will of God. But a, but a big historical denominational church came open for me in Oakland, California. Big church, important people, stepping stone. Church in California. That must be the will of God. That can't be the will of God. I went to California. Now hear me. I've told this story before. I wasn't in California six weeks before my wife and I looked at each other and we said, we have made the mistake of our life. And I spent nearly two years there. But while I was there, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Even though I'm not sure that was the decision I needed to make. Now, I may have thought I was obeying God. I think now that I look back, there were probably some not so pure motives probably running through me that I couldn't see at the time. But I went to California. And then out in California, her dad got in an automobile accident. So we moved to Spartanburg in 1989. We stayed there seven, eight years. Came down here in 1997. All of this has taken place until finally, almost two years ago, we were able to do our mobile worship here at the International Church of God, which is two blocks from the place God called me to be at in 1987. Now, this is what I started to think. Maybe, maybe my walking around could have been solved if I would have just heard him a little bit better in 1987. Are you following me? But how many of you know, if God wanted me in Charleston in 1987, and I was still doing whatever I was doing all that time, how many of you know that God will get you where he wants you to be? Uh, just two blocks away. Isn't that interesting? You don't realize how much of your life may be like that. That, that here you are, and, and, and you're making decisions, not realizing that God's saying, I want you here, and you keep walking away from it, but I'm going to let you walk until I can finally get you walk. I'm going to get you back here. And you don't even realize that what looked like plan B, God's working in your life, doing things in your life, and it really was your plan A all along. Number six, God knows your outcome before it even starts. You can read Isaiah 46 and 10. I, I, I have to rush on. But Isaiah 46 verse 10 talks about God knowing outcomes from the very beginning. Number seven, it's another good one. God can redeem and restore whatever has been lost and broken. Isn't that good? This is, is kind of how I view the will of God. It's like a, he's like this divine GPS. Have you ever had your GPS and you're heading towards your location and you're going towards your location, but even with the GPS, you miss your location. And that lady's voice comes on. Isn't it interesting? It's always a lady's voice. Maybe there's a man's voice in there that you can reprogram it to. But, but the lady comes on the GPS and it says recalculating exactly. And you might have gone by the turn. And maybe you went by another turn. But it keeps recalculating you until you finally make the turn that gets you back to the place you're supposed to be. Listen to me that you may have made some wrong turns. But God can get you back just like that GPS back to the place you're supposed to be. He can restore the years. He can redeem the situation. He can recalculate your life. And get you back. And then finally, number eight, you're being directed by God whether you recognize it or not. Now, I want to read these. It says in Psalm 37, verse 23, it says, The steps of a good man or woman 
are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Proverbs 16.9 says that a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Listen, this, is, this, this helps me. It helps me to know that when I'm making decisions or when I'm looking at life and I'm trying to do my best to do God's will and, I, and I'm looking at things, here's, here's what gives me that rest or that peace, and it's this, that whether I feel it or not, God is directing my steps. He's orchestrating me. It's just like with a flight cancellation. You may be up at the desk and you may not get to ride the plane you hope to, but he's going to get a plane for you. And he's going to get you to the place you need to be. You know, we've been in an unorthodox time period. And anyone who thinks in this unorthodox time period that God hasn't been with us doesn't know the Lord. Listen, an unorthodox time period may be the greatest significant mark of a walk with God. If you read the Bible... There's a lot of unorthodox walking. God's with us. He's directed our steps. He's matured us. He's helped us. He's done things that we don't even know yet he's done in us. And he's getting us to the place that he's always designed for us. It's interesting. We were only about six months old as a church, and we went over and looked at that abundant life area as a possible meeting place. Of course, we were so young, it, was, it wasn't even on my journey. And now I see 15 years later, uh, another circle being created. Makes you wonder. I don't know. I'm just trying to follow the will of God. But this much I do know, that God's got it. Don't have a meltdown. God's got it. And he's got you too. Let's stand, shall we?